Story Hunters, the podcast about storytellers around the world. In this episode, you are going to meet four women and their roots of storytelling and why to let stories in our lives. Hi, I'm Umi Sinha. Um, I'm a writer and a storyteller, and I was born in, grew up in India, but I now live in the UK. So I grew up in India, and there's a very, very strong oral tradition, oral storytelling tradition in India. And uh, when I was about 10, we went to my grandfather's village, which is right up in the north of India, near the Nepalese border. And um, one of the things they used to do in the days before television, this was probably, well, this was around early 60s, was um, you got these traveling storytellers who would come to the villages and they would set up in the village square. They'd make a kind of platform and then they would do a performance of the Ramayana or the Mahabharata over four nights. And people would actually after dinner would come down to the square and sit and watch the storytelling and then, you know, get a few hours sleep and then go to work and then come back the next night to watch again. And that was really, really magical. Um, and there were also these gazelle singing concerts where people kind of compete with couplets against each other and then the audience kind of applauds and, you know, so it was really very live and very exciting. And um, also at home, my mother, who was English, always um, bought us loads of storytelling books for our birthdays and Christmas. So there was always a pile of fairy tale books. And so I kind of grew up completely surrounded by stories. And I think for me, I spent almost my entire childhood living in a kind of fantasy world because our, my childhood was very, very boring. We were stuck on an inland naval base. and. Um, as girls, my sister and I weren't allowed to go out. So we were just stuck in the house all day. And um, I just kind of inhaled stories. So that that's my kind of roots in storytelling. So I am Maria Serrano, and um, I'm currently sitting in a small town in Finland, uh, between Helsinki and Turku, uh, watching the last days of summer and um, I'm also of uh, mixed origin so my father was Spanish and my mother is from Finland and I'm really grateful for this question because it brings back a lot of memories so on one hand I was raised on the Odyssey my mother would read it to me and tell it to me from when I was a very small child when I was four or five or something like that and, and I was very interested in Greek mythology and I knew about all the Greek gods and goddesses and that was like the gossip in our household, basically, what the Greek gods and goddesses were up to and what they had done. And uh, then on the other hand, I spent most of the time in that household with my Finnish granny and she would tell stories from when she was a child. She was the eldest of 12 in the... She was born 1913 uh, in a very poor family and she would tell about her everyday life to keep me contented and and then she would tell bible stories that she had learned in school as well and then on the other hand my father 
we used to travel a lot, the three of us, my mother, my father and I, and go by car to, from Spain to Finland and all over the place. And my mother didn't drive. So my father, father was the only one driving and he could get quite tired. Uh, so then he kept himself awake, telling me all sorts of really odd stories from his childhood that he invented. And one was crazier than the other. And I just love those stories, you know, it was like the series of stories of how cities in the US got their name. All names come from Spanish and then he'd be like. <laughs> so for instance, he went like, I was like, daddy, so where does the name Washington come from? And he said, oh, you know, they came to this really, really muddy place and you could hear the boots go like Washington, 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 Washington. And that became Washington. <laughs> so if I lost some of my marbles, you know why. Oh, it's so wonderful to hear these stories. And, and, the, and it's true, they just bring up so many. My name is Philippa Namutevi Kabalikagwa. And I am in Cape Town at the moment. Um, it's cold, it's winter, it's freezing. And um, I'm not of mixed heritage, but I have lived in many places. So my original home is in Uganda. I was born in Kampala in Uganda to a mother and father who loved literature. Uh, my mother was a storyteller, my dad wrote, and um, he was a poet and a storyteller. And so, I think my earliest recollections are sitting at home and mom and dad telling us stories, folk tales um, of um, Wakaima and uh, Kaluru the hare and Wajovu the elephant. And, um, and I remember just being mesmerized. And then my mother was a teacher also, and at a certain point she went to, she went back to university and when she was doing her master's, she decided to do a master's in oral literature of uh, the Bahamasaba people, where she came from. And I remember sometimes going with her uh, when she went to collect stories and learning folk tales and poems. I don't remember many of them, but you know, poems, and riddles and just being completely fascinated by this whole world. And then of course, my parents were avid readers. And so I read lots of books. I read lots of books um, with folk tales and tall tales and, you know, the Enid Blytons and everything. <laughs> and my father's brother who was a dentist, but he would come and I remember in the lounge, he would sit behind, be, behind one of the couches was a big bookshelf and we had a sheepskin rug and we would sit on that sheepskin rug and Uncle Jack would paint Thumbelina on his thumb and take one of mom's napkins and wrap, wrap it on his thing and say, Thumbelina, Thumbelina, tiny little thing and, and we'd have that. And then I grew up, I'm sure most of you did too, in the era where we had records, they call them vinyls these days, but we called them records, you know, 45s and 33s. And, 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 and there was that era when you'd get records with stories and it would come with a little book and Tinkerbell would ring her little bell like ding, and then you know it's time for you to turn the page. 
And I remember sitting in front of the gramophone, listening to those stories. And then of course, film musicals like The Sound of Music and My Fair Lady and Mary Poppins. And those for me were stories I imagined myself into. And one of my favorite records was Danny Kaye. And you know, he had, he sang the story of the, the ugly duckling. And so, so I had a range of stories from Africa, from where I came from and the international stories um, in all sorts of media, but I would always hang on to the story. Um, yeah, that, that was the root, that is the root of storytelling in my life. Hello, so my name is Barbara Lini Erdi. I'm a teacher and a storyteller. I grew up in England, but I live in Austria now. And I was actually born in Moscow. My family is from Russia. And I, I feel very, very strongly my storytelling roots are absolutely Russian. So Russian traditional tales were a big part of my childhood. And I feel I've always loved them, but lately I feel even more drawn to working with them and retelling them that I have to go back to them now so they're very very much that's the root of it all and then going to visit my Russian grandparents every summer they would um like Maria was saying they would tell about their childhood um in the Soviet Union and the Second World War it was absolutely fascinating for me because it was a completely different world so which they brought to life but then also like others have said I loved reading I still love reading as a child I remember my mother would take me to um to a toy shop like a day out and I would go to the book section pick a book and just sit down and read while we were there <laughs> instead of looking at the toys so um stories and reading were always just something I was drawn to but the way I learned that storytelling sort of existed as distinct from just conversation or books was when I was 12 years old, my mother went on her first storytelling course with Nancy Mellon at Emerson. And then she went on another and another, and then my father went on some. And then when I was older, I went on some and we became kind of a family of storytellers. And now we sometimes tell together and although we are in separate countries, we're linked through technology and through Zoom. So we've been able to do things together. So really, I would say Russia first and foremost, and then this kind of bond with my family of us all telling together. Those have been my roots. Why storytelling is in your life? I would be very grateful if you share it with us. I can, I can jump back in. Because as you were asking the question, I suddenly realised I knew what the answer was when I thought I didn't. And I would say for me, it's like my my version of music. I I like music, but I don't think that I'm very musical. And it's I love watching films. I love reading books, but they are not interactive. They're very they're a very passive experience or a, a very sort of they're not alive. Whereas everybody understands playing live music, sharing live music, going to a concert, that's very mainstream. And for me, this is like my version of that. So the difference between listening to a recording of music and watching it live, that's for me the difference between 
reading a book and experiencing storytelling. So what what does storytelling mean and where does it sit in my life? Is that kind of, that's my interpretation of the question. And um, I think for me, storytelling on a personal note has always been about meaning making. It, it's always been a place where I go to make sense of who I am, where I am, why I am where I am. And I'll find a story that sticks in my head and 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 so it's that and it's a it creates community there's always this thing where you you come and you say on that day in 1989 or once upon a time and people kind of sit up even those people who kind of look like it's boring you know as you as you go on you suddenly see them leaning in or laughing really loudly and so it's been a way of connecting and creating community of sense making. Um, I come out of a background as a teacher and I facilitate leadership and processes in organizations and I find actually even when I was in my A levels, I find when I wanted to explain something and I didn't know how to explain it, sometimes I'd find a story that I could tell that would give me the language then to explain something to people in a way that now we could we could understand each other so so it's also it's also been a tool for me to teach and in my and it's medicine <laughs> there's there's healing I mean I I found I mean people always talk about women who run with the wolves and Clarissa Pinkola Estes and that book mentored me for years it sat on my bedside table and it was a thing I dipped back into and back I was so excited when I found it I was like oh, this woman uses fairy tales to teach deep deep things and why don't people know how to do that you know it was so exciting um, but it's also been in in organization when one works with a community and people start telling their stories or when they start telling the story of the organization of where it came from and how it is where it is now. Um, there's there's a sense of community making and healing and connection that really um, happens and I think for me that's what story is um, and yeah when people you tell them I'm coming to tell stories and they all roll their eyes especially when they're older people they're like yeah you know we, we, we we're big people we don't need stories and then you start and then they come slowly and tell you in your ear that was so moving <laughs> and it's worth it it is I think for me as a child, I found the world a very confusing and random and meaningless place. Um, nothing very much made sense to me as a child. I found the behavior of adults around me quite incomprehensible. It was a bit in India like the white mischief period in Africa, I think, where they were all caught up in having affairs on their own, you know, kind of business and they didn't really I think a lot of what we were being told as children about how we should behave don't tell lies you know be nice to people was not how they were behaving and also I think the other thing about life that I found as a child was the repet repetitiveness of life how boring it was to have to do the same things over and over again you know and it was like why is it like this 
so stories and books were, you know, you didn't go to the loo in books or have to brush your teeth. You just did exciting things. So I think that was my initial attraction to it. And then um, my mother was a writer and then my brother's a writer as well. And then I became a writer. One of the things, I was lonely as a child as well, very lonely. And I spent a lot of time reading on my own. And I think when I became a writer, I was in a way, it's almost like I use writing to order my own life. I write about the issues that I'm trying to solve in my own life. And often when I get to the end of a book, I realize I've solved something that I myself have been struggling with. But writing is quite lonely because, you know, you put your book out there and you have no idea really what, I mean, you get reviews and things, but it's not the same. So I discovered storytelling quite late. And I think the thing about storytelling is exactly what um, Philippa was saying, which is that feeling when you're standing up in front of a room and you start telling and you just sense the listening in the room, the atmosphere, and you can see the reactions of people. And then you get the kind of reaction at the end of the story. And it's kind of instant gratification. So I found that really rewarding. And I've realized as I've got older, that having been someone who had a lot of kind of walls of defense around me, I'm really hungry for connection with other people. Um, and I think storytelling provides that better than anything else I've come across. It's such a quick way to make contact with other people, I think. And also, because stories are metaphorical, you can deal with all kinds of issues that might be threatening to people if you were directly addressing something in their own lives. But because it's told in the form of a metaphor, it allows them space to think about that without actually, you know, it feeling threatening to them, like they're being put on the spot. So, yeah, I think there's a huge richness in stories and they don't seem to, well, some stories obviously date or some elements of stories obviously date like giving women away as prizes. But um, the basic themes of stories, I think, seem to be pretty universal and timeless. Well, I, I must say that I I feel really humbled by the question. And, and I think if, if you ask about storytelling in my life, what storytelling is for me, I would say that is actually the sacred room, maybe, that I can enter. Or, or that pillar that keeps things together. Magic, really. I uh, Also, when I perform as a storyteller, I'm very intuitive. So I go there, I have my stories prepared, and then I stand there in front of the audience, and I'm like, gosh, why on earth is this story pushing its way through and wants to be told? And I very often end up telling a completely different story than I was planning to originally. And many times I then get the answer to why I was telling that story. So somebody comes to me and says, you know, there is a girl in the class who lost her father one month ago, for instance. And I feel so humbled in that moment. And I've seen this story magic work time and again. For me, stories in my life are, are actually very beautiful connection with the magic that I'm very grateful for and that I've used in parenting a lot and in, in different walks in life, but I'm so grateful for it, really. Is there any story which lives in you right now and is digging and 
working on you? So I've been involved with my parents uh, running a monthly storytelling session, which really evolved into a biographical storytelling and, and talking about everybody's families. And last month we worked on the Demeter and Persephone myth. And now we're preparing uh, Maria, the Odyssey <laughs> episodes of the Odyssey. So that's really something that I'm kind of living with at the moment. But what I thought was funny was my, my mother was really, really the leader of the Persephone myth. And she was saying, oh, it's miraculous storytelling magic. Once you start working on something, it's everywhere. And I was like, it's just a coincidence. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and then as soon as we arrived here to where I'm staying, my mother-in-law has a huge picture of Persephone holding a pomegranate right, right in my face. Um, so it's, I was like, oh, fine, you're right, mother. Um, so yeah, we're just really uh, in the world of Greek mythology at the moment. So just living with that and seeing how, how amazing, how we've commented in this group before these ancient stories and then everybody's different. Everybody has very different families from different countries. And yet there's something universal in the experience of family and story that, that holds us all together. So that's something we've been, that's alive at the, in me at the moment. Well, I'm actually doing a course on Persephone and Demeter right now with Nancy Mellon. Uh, so, so Persephone is very much alive for me as well. And I would say one reading that is new for me is Persephone as a story of migration. So I belong to those people who keep longing for home and longing for Spain and spending long winters in, in Finland. It has always been like that. So it's, that's not a new pattern. But the new thing for me was this realization that Persephone keeps going to where she wants to be, where she wanted to be, and coming back to the underworld. And over the years, she starts being changed by the underworld also, and she has a family there and everything. And, and it really made me think about this part of migration that is that as much as you might feel that you want to live somewhere else, uh, where you actually live starts working on you and, and creates a new you, which doesn't necessarily fit very well in neither places, and I know Philippa has worked a lot with these themes also of belonging and unbelonging and everything, but I hadn't quite seen it in Persephone before. And that has been a fascinating journey right now. So I'm quite fascinated with the older Persephone now and what she learns along the way. Ah, oh, I love these conversations. <laughs> like, I, like, like, like I wish we were together physically in one space. I just, you know. Um, but, but for me, it's not a particular story as it is a theme that has run through my life and it's a theme of grief. Um, and, and I'll tell you, it started, I think when I was quite young, I must've been about 10, nine, 10, and we had this, um, club at school where someone taught us African traditional dances of Uganda. And one day he taught us this dance and it was a funeral dance. And it was a dance that was danced by my mother's people. 
and they, the drum they played was actually a pot, an earthenware pot, which they hit with, with a wad of a banana fiber. Um, but the man didn't stay, and I never really learned the dance, but I remember at that time my mother was doing her research, and I went back home, and I was so excited, and I told her about this dance. And then in 2012, when my mother passed away, I so wanted to do that dance for her, but I didn't know it. And, and Christianity and the church has taken some of those things away and they were seen as uh, not of God, which I wonder because I think they were, they were ways in which people grieved. And I think we don't know how to grieve well these days. And so every once in a while, this thing pops up in me and I want to learn the dance and I want to get a pot. And then in 2018, I was in Durban and there was a storytelling festival and this Kenyan friend of mine, Mshai, came and she told this story of Meka Tilili, who was an old Giriyama woman who became a freedom fighter when she became a grandmother. So she was an older woman and because she was an older woman, the men would now listen to her and she led a fight against the British, but she, she led it through a dance. And, and in, in that community, they had a funeral dance called the Chifudu dance, and it was led by the older women. And it was led by the older women because, you know, they can hold pain. <laughs> They've lived, they know these things. And, and they would, they start the dance and they lead the dance. And she told this story. And you, you know, when you hear that story and you know it's your story because your heart beats, your heart beats a little faster and you lean in and you're like, you know, and, and that was that story for me. And, and I keep, I, those threads, it keeps coming back. And so yesterday I was on the, no, on Sunday, I was talking to some women and someone talked about this guy called Martin Prechtel, who's I think a Native American. Uh, and he talked about grief and praise and how in grief you find praise and in praise you find grief. Um, and how it is important it is for these rituals of grief. And so, I am holding those stories and I, and I don't know whether it's going to be entwined because I think, I really think that as a continent, we need to weep. We need to weep for the children who were stolen as slaves. We need to weep for everything we've lost so that we can be free. And he talks about the catharsis of grief. And so I don't know where it's taking me, but I do know um, that that's a thread and it's not a morbid thread. It's really, about the medicine of grief and the medicine and, and how grief and joy live side by side and hold each other and releasing grief releases us. And so I am going to, I don't know yet what the work is in there, but yeah, it sits in my heart so strongly at this particular moment in time. Um, I, yeah, it's interesting. I don't have, I kind of feel like I'm in a transition in my life at the moment where I'm letting go of a lot of cynicism and a lot of decisions I've made about um, my life and kind of opening up to new possibilities. And in that, there's actually, I mean, I've always been attracted to kind of sad stories. And I agree with Philippa about the importance of Greece and also the links between grief and joy, that there is a kind of a real sweetness when you allow yourself to grieve properly. 
but I suddenly feel as though I just want to concentrate on happiness and joy. And I think everything that's happening in the world at the moment seems so bleak and depressing. And sometimes I think on a personal level, it's quite selfish to just be enjoying one's own happiness. But at the same time, I kind of feel like I'm learning so much from all my past mistakes that that maybe that it's it's funny actually there's two sides of me there's the western side which is quite skeptical and questioning and unmagical you know realistic i suppose you could say and there's the eastern side of me which in at some level knows that we create our own reality and that you can change reality by changing within yourself and they're not always they they can't be present at the same time i mean either one or the other and I, that used to bother me that there was a kind of inconsistency between those two things because other people seemed to be consistent and I wasn't. And I always felt I had to choose one or the other side of me so I could be a, a consistent, real person. And now I realize that actually it's great to be able to adapt and to be one sometimes and one the other, and that my instincts tell to, tend to tell me when to be one and when to be the other. But right now I feel this huge kind of resurgence of just really wanting joy and happiness and connection with people and feeling lucky actually that I found someone, the most unlikely person, that um, I feel a real fit with, almost like we're, you know, I'm, I've been obsessed with the story called Half Girl because of my half mixed race status and the fact that I've never felt I belonged in either one place or one culture and the other. And suddenly it almost feels like I found someone who makes me feel whole. So that's really, it's really interesting. And actually, I feel quite foolish admitting it because, you know, it's so against all the things I have said over the years. So anyway, there, there it is. I would like to thank you all for your nice 